hi everyone uh welcome again to an, another amazing episode uh duels within us um i have with me here a very good friend uh adam sharp sharpie is it sharp or sharpie sharp it's it's sharp but if you want to call me sharpie jacob i'll only let you get away with that i wanted, I wanted to make this exciting you know so um but uh, just an incredible human being i think by the ep end of this episode uh, all of you will really appreciate the work he's doing um amazing 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 person and i was just fortunate to meet him uh two i think four three years ago three years ago i think three years ago at uh, in south korea and he, i was just impressed by his by him as a person but just the work he's doing in thailand and across asia so just a brief introduction about adam uh, he's the founder of futurely a very very fascinating um into uh, like company that he he, he founded uh he's the director of learning of uh, of meta future uh he did some strategic learning uh at the asian development bank so adam is a futurist and a meaningful youth engagement specialist you know having spent a decade in the development sector delivering educational programs to hundreds of thousands of people across asia and europe Adam recognized the urgent need for a seismic shift in education and skill and skill building to meet today's and tomorrow's collective challenges. He founded Youth Futures Think Tank and Transformative Foresight Consultancy. Futurely, which we're going to be talking about a lot today, uh, co-founded the online futures learning platform Meta Future School and consults for more international organizations, including the UN and the Asian Development Bank. Uh, he's a member of the Association of Professional Futurists uh, Futurist, and sits on the advisory board of Noise Sustainable Cosmetics and Rapid Asia. So, Adam, thank you so much for being here. Um, yeah, and we're, we're looking forward to learning from you. I'm, I'm, I'm one I'm looking forward to learning from you in this episode. So, uh, for a start, just please tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, uh, where you grew up and, you know, how you became to be who you are today with that uh well first of all thanks so much for having me on jacob and um just to commend you for launching this podcast um it takes a lot of guts to create something anew um rather than just support someone else's vision and so i'm confident that that boldness is going to generate some extraordinary experiences for you and generate a lot of value in the world so and i'm here to support you in any way i can um i'm originally from london in the uk um i was relatively privileged really went to good schools and always had food on the table um but money was always a problem um it was always something to worry about so when the financial crash hit in 2009, and at the time I'd graduated from the University of Leeds with a degree in politics, and I'd spent two years in sales because it was the only thing I could conceivably do um, to make enough money to live in London, um, I had hard choices to make. My parents didn't live in the UK anymore. And the decision was, do I stay in London and burn through my savings trying to find a job during a recession? And I had very low confidence then. So I, I did not think I'd be able to get a job. Um, and I didn't want to work in recruitment. I knew I wanted to do something that I was more passionate about, something that was more impactful. Or do I do something wild and move and build a career somewhere else? And that's what brought me to Southeast Asia. It was a moment of realization that, you know, there really is not as much opportunity here at home for me as there could be in emerging markets like Southeast Asia. And that's where the journey began. And that was about 13 years ago. And I've had a wild ride. And now I'm married. I have a son. I have a business. I work from home and I love my life, but it's been a challenging journey to get here. Let me tell you. So that's a little bit about me. Oh, that's, that's incredible. Uh, that's so incredible. And I mean, for all the Asian countries, you know, there's Vietnam, there's South Korea, uh, Singapore, um, Taiwan. Why, why Thailand? Why, why is, why is the, what drew you to this country that you said, yeah, there's a place, there's a place that I'm going to, 
Uh, it's going to be my headquarters. I'd love to pretend that there was a considerable amount of research that went into this decision. Um, the truth is, the way I looked at it was, <clears throat> it's affordable. It's one of the hubs of the region. I knew that there was a lot going on, that it was very much central to Southeast Asia at the time. And it was just one of the countries that I knew more about. It seemed less daunting than, say, moving to Vietnam or moving to another Southeast Asian country. And I thought, you know, if I can start there, then maybe I'll maybe I'll move around. Maybe I'll be there for a couple of years. I don't know. So th that was it, really. And in retrospect, it probably wasn't a, it wasn't the smartest decision. I mean, like considering how hard it is for foreigners to start a business in Thailand, let alone um, actually get employed. You know, if a company in Thailand wants to hire a foreigner, they need to have four national staff and they have to have a considerable amount of capital in the bank. So it's not easy for a foreigner to make it here unless, say, they're teaching in a school, you know, where there's a real demand for foreigners and they have plenty of um, staff and capital to to hire you so and it's these the conditions here are really not favorable for an entrepreneur yeah. really they're not and uh, that hasn't hasn't gotten any easier in the 13 years that i've been here so yeah no logic really I jacob yeah not the smartest move um but it worked out yes it did it did and I, I i applaud I, I think the more i get to know you um I, I really admire your bravery um like it's really tough you know to really just have i mean it's it's, it's some level of there's some how can i put it this you're brave i'm trying to find out the right word for it I, you you know what, Jacob? I feel like it would have been more brave trying to stay in London in 2009 <laughs> and getting a job. Like, really, I think that would have been more brave. Like, wow. my 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 savings from working in the UK were going to go far here. And I have islands on my doorstep. Didn't feel very brave, like, lying in the surf of, a, of an island. You know what I mean? Um, but... Um, but I appreciate the sentiment and, uh, and there's, there's definitely a lot of bravery involved in leaving your comfort zone. And, and, but fortunately when you're young, you're dumb enough to just sort of see where it takes you, you know, and I was in my mid twenties and it was just, you know, it was serendipitous in that way. Um, but I'm glad I made the decision. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I, I'm glad you made that decision because we won't be able to uh, be here to talk about the great works you're doing. Uh, at the moment and how you really want to impact the future you know and just like you know segueing into if we segue into the your career just in general like how do you get into this space and we're going to specify more on futurely which i just mentioned briefly in the introduction and the meta future school and you know um, some your work your partnerships with the uh, asian development bank either through funding or you know or the research or the writing that you've done how did you i know it was, there's some process to it but how did you really get into this space and you felt like this is it and i've heard you talk you know when when korea you're a very inspiring guy you feel it felt like that is you and your right spot you know when mm. the the asian um uh when leading the event um uh, mm. I felt like this, like you, you found that thing, you know, when you're on stage as the that niche. Yes, yeah. I felt like that sweet, that sweet spot. That sweet spot. So I mean, yeah, walk us through because I think a lot of listeners out there are just, are trying to figure out like what, what kind of, how can I find that niche for me? Mm. Uh, I, I know this. The world has become more transient now. People want to travel. and want to try things in new places, and you really mm. figure out two things. One, that you you figure out. You know, you know, by chance, you know, it sounded like, you know, Thailand was just, you know, something that I just fell into. But you figure that out. And in addition, you figure out the career that worked well for you. Yeah. Can you please walk us through, like, that career development, your personal journey on getting to where you are? Or just a snippet of how yeah. you're thinking about it. Again, like, my trajectory and my journey is, is very much mine. And so 
you know, when I do share advice or anecdotes about my experience, I mean, you know, by all means to any listeners, you, your journey will be your own. And, and, and so don't listen to me, Um, (laughs) but but as seeing as you're asking, I'll, I'll share how it worked for me. Um, In my experience, um, the, the moments, the key moments in my career were the ones where I took big risks and in order to pursue doing what I love. So to give you an example, I was teaching in a school that gave me a work permit in Thailand. This was 13 years ago. And the reason why I had to work in a school was partly because I got robbed and ended up having no money, empty bank accounts in Thailand and had to get a job ASAP. And I wasn't that resourceful and I didn't have that much confidence. So I ended up in a school. Anyway, long story short, <laughs> that's, that's, a crazy story. that's a whole other story. That's a whole other story. How I ended up wow. in Minbury on the outskirts of Bangkok with no job and, and no prospects and feeling like a complete loser. So I end up in an international school and I, and I love teaching and I liked my work permit, but I knew that there was more to life. Mm-hmm. And I knew that if I stayed in that job, in that comfort zone, I was going to probably be a teacher for a long, long time to come. And I, and I, I didn't personally want that for myself. Okay. So I had to quit and give up the work permit and put the gun to my head, so to speak, in order to really push myself to find what I love. Wow. That's just, that's just, that's just me. And, and that was, again, some would say not that risky. You're like, you know, Western, like privately educated, you know, it's not a huge risk for you. You have all the, you have all the wherewithal, all the education to go and make money some other way somehow, but it, every experience is relative. And in that moment, I was taking a huge risk. And I remember I said, I'm just going to do stuff that I love and I'm going to figure it out. Um, Again, another really strategic, well thought out plan, Jacob. Um, I started playing. This is how weird your career can be, your trajectory. I have found one thing builds on another. One experience builds. One skill builds on another, builds on another, builds on another. It's like a video game where you're accumulating skill points and you're accumulating you know, new clothes and, and you, you just, you're growing and growing and growing through your career. I started playing music in a bar, singing, <laughs> singing in a band. Okay. Dude. Playing music. Cause I love to sing. I said, I'm going to do stuff that I love. Right. So that but then that leads to record the recordings out there. Yes, oh, I do. And, and I'll share them with you after. Don't you share them with your audience. And um, then I, started doing charity work on the Thai Burmese border because a friend of mine was running a a school for for Burmese children living in Thailand who needed food and shelter etc so I started doing charity work um, and I started learning about human trafficking and cross-border migration and the fact that there were children who were extremely vulnerable and so I combined the music and the charity work by doing fundraisers for the, for, the, for the children's home. And we raised a lot of money. I launched an event called Change for Siam where everyone had to bring all of their loose change. And through, again, some serendipitous, you know, exchange of events, we raised like thousands and thousands of dollars for this school. Like huge. And then that connected me to this whole new world of social entrepreneurs, of international NGOs. And then I heard about this organization, MTV Exit. You know MTV, music yes. television, yes, and exploitation and trafficking. It was their human trafficking prevention arm. Mm-hmm. And they were essentially pr- producing concerts and music videos and documentaries about human trafficking, this really taboo subject, yep. trying to demystify it and help educate people so they can protect themselves across Southeast Asia and across Europe, they were doing like Radiohead music videos and stuff. I was like, this is combining my love of music and my love of like helping people and and also my interest in human trafficking and exploitation. Like, wow, like, and it's funny in your career, you don't realize what career opportunities are possible for you until they are in your face. And you're like, 
you know, it's like a new paradigm kind of opens to you. And I said, I'm going to work for that organization. Whatever happens, I am going to work for that organization. I was really set on it. Somehow, some way, they gave me a job offer. Wow. But I had to be at a giant concert in Manila where Jason Mraz was going to be playing. Jay Park was going to be playing in, uh, in Manila. And they said, you have to be there at that date. What? And that date was the day my sister was getting married in the UK. And I had to turn down my dream job. I'm broke. I'm playing music in a bar. I have no work permit. I'm in and out the country on like visas back when you could do that. <laughs> I remember when I had to, when I had to reject that job, I remember smashing the light on my desk. I was so, I was so upset. I was so, I was like, how can this be? How can this be happening? Yeah. I flew, I went, you can't miss your sister's wedding. You can't. Family first. You, you can't. So I, I flew back to Thailand with no job. <laughs> I'm flying over Thailand. Thailand is completely flooded, by the way. This is back in 2012. Mm. Thailand is completely flooded in crisis. And I'm going back to Thailand trying to find work and trying to get a job at MTV Exit. A couple of months later, I'm working on more events. I'm playing music in a bar. Yep. I've got my guitar in my hand. I'm singing. And the directors of MTV Exit walk into the bar and they're watching me perform. And uh, as I'm performing this song, uh, I think I was playing a cover. I think it was like Fast Car by Tracy Chapman or something. And uh, and the director's got a holds up a sign and it says, you're hired on the sign. And while I'm playing and it was like and I knew from that moment, my life had changed, that my career had changed, that I was working for a big brand that everyone knew that I was working on a cause that I cared about, that I was doing work that was incredible. And that's what got me started in this world. You know, really, that's where I started to pursue my dreams and and find purpose and find um, and find self-belief and you know, so it, it all, it's, it's so serendipitous how all these things sort of fit together. And, um, and that started a, a career in human trafficking prevention, building youth networks across Southeast Asia. I was helping to produce big concerts for 10,000 people, 30,000 people, like in like rural areas of Cambodia, Myanmar, Vietnam, Indonesia, the Philippines. I, you know, this was, you know, all extraordinary to me. Yeah. And um, and that I got to work with USAID and with Australian Aid and, and with UN agencies. And after that job was finished, I went to work for the United Nations in youth policy and programming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started to become a have built this. I started working for Asia Pacific Youth Exchange through that. That exposed me to all kinds of networks. And I started to build this weird skill set mm-hmm. of meaningful youth engagement. And uh, being a facilitator and, and and mobilizing young people around prominent social issues, and uh, and then futures came after that. I'll come on to that. But your career is 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 a, can be a very strange journey, and um, but it all starts for me anyway with following your passion and and not being scared to take risks. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that, and it's it's quite an intriguing story. Um, not being on easily. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, it could have gone the other way, Jacob. It could have gone the other way. No, it, 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 it is. That's quite a story. Um, being, a, being a musician to um, to where you are now. I, I, I think in, in, in this, um, you know, just learning from other you know, guests we've had, you know, there is, as you said, you know, one the story is relative and two is it's not a straight line, right? Uh, and you yeah. utilize you utilize what you had in front of you to really uh, kind of build that, that that portfolio, but also the brand that you are today. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I mean, most importantly, to family is really important. And I really love the fact that you took that decision to 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 attend your sister's wedding. I mean, you can never miss that. Uh, yeah, I don't even like my sister yet, but I can't, <laughs> mi- I can't, I can't miss her wedding. Like, I'm never gonna, re- I'm always gonna regret that. It was tough. It was close. It was a close run thing. <laughs> oh man! Oh, let, okay. Now let's let's get into uh, the the really the, the like the, the exciting stuff here. Um, so 
it's futurely right uh, uh we you know we talked offline about it uh and I, I don't want to be of disservice to how important and relevant this work is today uh in this yeah. society if you can just please help us um just just like i mean briefly just tell us what futurely futurely is and what brought you into this like how did you um think about it and how did you build it uh, from the start yeah, sure. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about Futurely, my baby, um, my, my second baby. Um, so uh, it's, it's a youth futures think tank. And basically, we specialize in engaging young people and intergenerational groups um, in development policy and programming using futures thinking. So using futures to think outside of the box and creatively about some of the most pressing challenges we face today and tomorrow in 10 20 30 years down the line exactly. this is how it came about like i told you i was building this youth engagement expertise i'd been um i'd worked for numerous un agencies mostly on a contract basis and also started working for the asian development bank and my job is always helping organizations how do we how do we engage young people right how do we ensure that they become you know not just advocates, but real stewards for the environment, for the sustainable development goals. You know, how do we ensure that young people create a better world um, in the future? Very, again, weird skill set. <laughs> and um, I was invited to attend a workshop with a, a great man called uh, Sahel Iniatullah. Mm. And it was in Bangkok and there was it was the first time I'd ever been exposed to futures. And I'm explaining this because it will help your audience understand what futures is too, because it's, it's still a little bit mysterious. And even the title futurist, you know, makes people feel uncomfortable, uh, but it's really not, it's nothing to feel uncomfortable about. It's actually really cool. But anyway, I'll talk about that. So we're in a workshop and there's part of, there's about 30 people in there from government, international NGO, local NGO, private sector, youth and just a, a really diverse group of people from across asia yep. and basically sahel is taking us through the six pillars of future studies this is a sequential process that helps people think about the future in a structured way to make decisions um about where we wish to go today based on how we think about the world 5, 10, 15, 20 years, 30, 40 years into the future. The whole point is the, the world is so complex, we can't predict the future. And anyone who can tell you they do, either they have a crystal ball or they're lying. Um, and we need structured ways to think about this. We can't rely on forecasts in the present to make decisions about such a complex future. And for anyone who's interested in this, you know, Black Swan by Nassim Taleb was a foundational text. Um, and there's many other resources if you want to think about the future in a structured way. Anyway, in this workshop, I remember he brought up the, the directors of this mall group, this famous mall group in Asia. I won't say which one. And we're doing scenarios and scenarios is where we analyze the future based on options. We create alternatives. That, that gives us an opportunity to create new opportunities to also analyze risk etc so it's like we don't expect one future to come about we actually think there'll be multiple and that brings back agency right it gives us choices yep. and one of the scenarios was a pandemic scenario hmm. and this is way back this is like before before covid wow and he's saying what happens to your mall group here in bangkok when the pandemic hits and we had weak signals of the potential for a pandemic. You know, they were out there. It wasn't mainstream public knowledge, but it was out there. And a futurist's job is to identify these weak signals and to help people go through that thought process, right? And to think, to, to get ahead of the disruption, yep. right? And he said, what are you going to do in the pandemic scenario? He said, right, our more group, we're going to we're going to convert two of our biggest malls in the city into makeshift hospitals to support Thailand's public health system because it's going to be struggling, it's going to be ailing, and we can give them this floor, this floor, this floor. <laughs> and the other thing we're going to do is we're going to create our own delivery service to keep certain stores 
like alive and make sure we don't have to give up too much money to a middleman. You know, we can, we can own that market and we can start building that now. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting. Yes. And so, so when COVID hit and the mall group did none of those things, wow. didn't do any of them. Right. Wow. Um, I came away with two realizations really one if the mall group had done that i wouldn't see them as a mall anymore i'd see them as heroes i'd see them as public heroes you know that that would be my mall to go to forever like if they had really provided such a profound public good if they had responded quickly to the crisis if they'd got ahead of the disruption we wouldn't see them as a mall group anymore they'd be something else um and the second thing was how powerful this methodology this suite of tools could be for all kinds of purposes especially for young people who are looking at the future thinking i might live a like a less um i I might have a worse life than my parents and i never thought that was possible and and especially in emerging markets where they've grown up always with a steady growth trajectory And suddenly they're looking at the future thinking maybe this linear journey isn't going to last forever. You know, maybe we're going to see a dip and we can talk about patterns of history um, later if you like. But I thought this is profound. And, you know, this is a skill, you know, that that we should all have access to. We, we should all be able to think about the future in a structured way, not to be fearful of the future, but to see opportunity in it, you know, that that young people wouldn't have their futures created by someone else. They could create their own. Like I wanted, I saw the agency in the methodology, in, in the literacy of futures. And I, I came away from that workshop feeling like I'm going to figure out how to integrate this into my practice. And so when the pandemic hit, I contacted Sahel and I said, you're brilliant, but you don't even know how to turn on a computer, I don't think. Let me help you build your online course. And that started the journey with Meta Future School. And, and that really got me exposed to futures thinking. And, and then I, I really saw a niche in, in futures and meaningful youth engagement and engaging intergenerational groups to explore the issues that are coming down the track, you know, the issues that are coming in 10, 20 years let's get ahead of those things and and that's what i set up futurely to do to specialize in that in that space so yeah it's um it's fascinating and i, I can i can talk more if you like and quite a, quite a very very i mean it's it's so profound especially the <clears throat> the methodology that you guys i mean we literally i mean we're still living in a pandemic right it's like we're not we're not yet like fully out um and just having that prior to this is incredible I, I had mm. opportunity to watch your pitch, um, and you talked about your son. It, it was very empowering, and and you know you mentioned like you know, well, after having a son, something happens, right? I, I know as a person you you are passionate about this, but having a child too gives you some perspective. Like, how will this child life be? Mm. And that touched me specifically. Can you just talk a little bit about having a son? And that how and how does influence your work at futurely? I know by yeah. default you're a very inspiring guy and you're passionate about this, but you know, having some might perhaps may have, you know, had much more greater impact on how you value the impact of what your organization can do. Um, oh man, hundred percent. Um I never thought I was gonna have a child. I, I always wanted one, but I never believed that I could. Something to do with dropping fertility rates but also self-doubt like I and I and I and it's funny I I spoke to other people and like and it turns out that a lot of people don't think they can have a child like they don't think that they're fertile until it actually happens like a few people feel that way you know until I've actually done it like I don't know you know will I ever be able to have a child it's clearly an important question um so I was so I'm like fertility rates are dropping all around the world I don't take it for granted that I've been able to have a child and and let's not forget a lot of people spend a lot of money to have to have a child these days and so so anyway that was one thing um I felt I felt proud of being able to I felt very I felt 
considerable gratitude. And I think that the the other question for me that really rang true, I mean, I've been working in youth development for a long time. So I've been thinking about young people and the conditions that they're growing up in and their opportunities to pursue their dreams and their own economic empowerment. I've been thinking about that like professionally for years. So when you suddenly have your own kid, it's impossible not to see things through a sort of human rights paradigm, through a through a, a youth empowerment paradigm. So I'm like, it's impossible for me not to. And um, just, I mean, you just, you don't, nothing prepares you for the love that you feel for your, for your child. And, um, and I think I, I also felt I really want to make him proud. Um, you know, like I, I have an amazing dad and we have great relationship now, but when I was a kid, you know, he like, he, I don't think he'd mind me saying, but when I was a kid, he really struggled, you know, professionally. And, um, I think he struggled to relate to me a bit as a kid. And one of my early memories was this feeling that he would make promises that he couldn't deliver on. And interestingly, when we think about our parents and our upbringing, negative experiences are like Velcro and positive experiences are like Teflon. They just slide off your brain, but, but yeah. the negative experiences, they stick. So recognize, recognizing the fact that like, there's a lot that my dad did for me. Um, when I had my own son, I, I really said to myself, like, A, I don't want him to ever see me worry about money. I don't want him to have that fear of money that I had, that money was something that was always like, was always out the door. It was never in the pocket. You know, it was always something that was getting away from us. Um, I also wanted to make sure I was a, a man of my word. You know, I wanted him to see that I was a man of my word. And when I made promises, I would deliver on them. Um, and I, I wanted, I want him to be proud and for futurely, like, and the way it inspired me was I want to, I really want to get to the bottom of what the world's going to be like in 20, 30 years time when he's making big decisions about his life. I really want to understand. And one of those issues, and, and it's, you know, one of the programs we've got coming up is around population decline. Yes. And um, the fact that countries all over the world, except for Africa in 20, 30 years, most countries will have declining populations. And I don't just mean like by a few percent. Mm -hmm. In some instances, we're looking at considerable percentage declines. Mm -hmm. And if you speak to some economists, they'd say um, the economy is going to work itself out. It's pretty old fashioned thinking to imagine that this is going to really impact, you know, um, you know, think about automation, think about technological advancement. We shouldn't be worrying about the number of people we have. If anything, the number of people we have, if it dropped, it wouldn't be a bad thing. And if I asked young people about this, they would almost unanimously say, it'd be a good thing for this earth to have less human beings on it. But if you speak to, say, an Elon Musk, he thinks that this is behind benign AI. This is the biggest civilizational challenge we face. Um, that that the world is not designed and no economy is designed to have so few young people supporting so many old people that they become de facto slaves in that environment. And he said that this is how civilization disappears with a, with a whimper and not a bang. So depending on the expert you speak to, this is either nothing to worry about or it is civilizational collapse. You know? <laughs> like, how, how can this be so binary? And the reason why, you know, it's so, it, it's like this is that it's very complex. And, you know, whether we're okay or not depends on a lot of different factors. And that's what Futures gives us the power to analyze. It lets us shift the temporal horizon of planning. We need to think 10, 20, 30 years into the future. We need to consider its impacts on ecology, on our economy, on our technology, on our culture, on various um, aspects and how all these things fuse together, right? Because they influence one another. They're, they're interconnected. Um, and, and so Noah, my boy, you know, is inspiring me to think, what can we start doing? We're not going to wait for institutions to pay us to do this. We're going to launch the futures research that is vital 
and that young people have a right to be at the table for. You know, they have a right to speak on this issue because they're the ones who are going to be facing it, them and their children. It's just like the argument around climate collapse. Young people will face the brunt of this problem. And so they deserve to be at the decision making table today. And uh, I feel very strongly about that. So, yeah, my boy is definitely inspiring futurely to reach for new heights. That's for sure. Yes, um, that that was that was a great segue because I was about to ask about how infidelity, um, my God, infertility, um, or drop of fertility affects, um, uh, you know, have an impact on population growth and how future plays a role in that. And you definitely, um, ask a question because I mean, when we talked offline, it was like you said, population growth or population decline is that a growth? Is that a cause for concern? Right? Yeah. And you have you have these scenarios mapping that uh, you're working on, on futurely to really help people explain. No, these are options, right? And that was mm-hmm. talking about. But let's, if I may ask, can you just give us? And I know you, the, the pitch was really good because it gave it gave me uh, uh, when I was watching offline just a sense of how much you want to do through this organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the you have a, an upcoming course coming up and, and before we talk about the course uh, i'll just roll a little bit back can i just talk a little bit about meta future schools sure and and just and just how that um is you know somewhat aligned futurely or maybe how that mm. is you know kind of building on what the courses at future is gonna be like yeah sure um I'm so proud to work with Sahel Iniatullah and Ivana Milojevic um, at MetaFuture School. These are two of the most respected, um, most pre- most prestigious thinkers in the futures field. Um, Sahel especially is one of the founders of, fi- of the field and a lot of the tools that futurists use today, many of them were developed by him. Wow. Um, and he's he's the kind of guy who writes like multiple books a year. He's a, he's a freak. He's a freak. <laughs> but, but he's... Um, but it's like it's honestly one of the pride. It's like the pride of my career to work with with, with these two. Um, so, futurely was our attempt to make futures thinking more accessible to more people around the world. Um, of course, creating online courses using these methods and tools had you know the double benefit of the fact that it was a pandemic and there were lots of people online eager to learn about these things especially when the future is so uncertain so the case to build your futures literacy your ability to respond to disruptions was very easy to make in a post-covid-19 world um but also like that 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 workshop that I did with Sahel originally that that's worth thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars you know and and people had to fly in from across the region to be there so very few people had access to these methods and tools you know to really learn from Sahel himself um, you know direct from the horse's mouth why these tools are important and how to run a workshop and how to conduct futures research and how to identify emerging issues and how to explore their first and second order implications and how to create scenarios and how to you know, create shifts as an individual or as an organization to realize your preferred futures, you know, that access to that was not many people want to sit and read giant books and articles. We need to communicate in ways that are, you know, relevant in medium that are accessible. So with MetaFuture School, we've been producing online courses for the last couple of years. And we began with our flagship course, Become a Futurist, which basically gives you access to the six pillars of futures thinking to understand this sequential futures process and the whole point of that course is to get you practicing to get you beyond an understanding of the theory of futures and actually get you running workshops conducting research so this is like natural for someone who's like a facilitator for example or a teacher who's looking for new tools to integrate but it's also great for Um, leaders who want to engage their staff their teams in thinking differently as they approach strategic planning Um, you know especially you know in a post-covid world you know planning becomes really challenging because there's so much uncertainty and and it's also a great example of how an issue can just suddenly you know land smack bang on your desk and shift all of your perceptions, all of your assumptions about your direction over the next few years. You know, we saw whole industries practically collapse because of the pandemic. And, you know, if this is not the last major disruption, you know, suddenly we have the war in Ukraine. 
this shifts it may you may not visibly see a shift in your life but it's it's shifting economies it's shifting markets it's Definitely. it's changing the the whole operating environment exactly. and so so basically we have one course become a futurist which is a great intro for anyone who wants to really understand futures thinking and then we have and this is super relevant now with the ukraine war ivana miloyevich who's also the author of a brilliant book um um breathing um it's called breathing violence in peace out and she created a course on conflict transformation so it's all about how do you use futures to transform conflicts in your personal professional life but also you know very applicable to the negotiators currently trying to trying to hash out peace in the ukraine um and then just recently when we when we asked our learners what do you want what's your priority from learning with meta future school what what kind of course are you gravitating towards and they were like personal transformation Mm. i want to i want to transform i want to create change in my life i want to shift how i think about the world i want to i want to make a change help us use futures for that you know not to transform global conflicts but i want to transform myself and this is and so we just launched our newest course, Personal Futures Masterclass, which is specializes in this. You know, it's like, um, I won't talk to, in too much detail about the tools, but what separates Sahail and, and what's really inspired me about working with him is he recognizes and has recognized for a long time that you can work with big organizations, giant teams, institutions on the futures of work, the futures of health, the futures of all these things, we can create different futures for the world, but we're part of this world. Mm. We need to change as well. Mm. So it's very easy for us to sit and tell everyone else how they need to change in order to create a better world. But how are you changing? And, and part of that was about making sure all the stakeholders in the room were on board. But like, it's like we need to, if we're going to create change in an organization, we need to figure out how we're going to adapt and change ourselves too. So so Meta Future School links perfectly with Futurely because, um, again, we have these learning resources that we can integrate into our programming to build the future literacy of the participants of our programs. So obviously, as director of learning of Meta Future, I can give good rates to people to do our courses you know, and make it as affordable as possible. Yep. But most importantly, I think for me, he gave me the confidence to apply futures in my own sphere of influence and, and expertise, which is youth. And uh, he gave, I, I thought, you know, how am I going to stand out and, and create value in this space? And I, I'm going to integrate futures with my expertise and do futures in a different way. And we're going to communicate our research, not just through books and articles, but through videos and animations. And we're going to do events that are like, like rock shows you know we're going to do it differently we're going to make it youthful and um and yeah it's it's one of the joys of my of my life working with them i've learned so much yeah that's such a great just great people around you and great just great experiences um kind of building up to such an incredible organization i know this is a little bit too late to ask but can you just define who a futurist is well like 40 40 something minutes in the episode (laughs) you know you know what the easiest way to describe it is you know i see a futurist like um for me it's a facilitator who's guiding people into like unknown territory you know like a simple way to think about futures thinking is it's a suite of tools and methodologies that have been that have academic rigor behind them because futures is a very academic pursuit. You know, you can do a master's in futures in a number of universities around the world. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Um, So there's, and it's about, you know, helping people and guiding them through this unknown territory to think differently about the future, long into the future. Um, the, The idea for me of a facilitator with a suite of methods and tools to help guide people, it resonates with me because, you know, kind of like a conductor in an orchestra is kind of like um, a, a facilitator's job, right? Your job is not to play the instrument. Your job is to help everyone around you play and to and to 
make sure everyone has their moment and is working well together. And so that's how I see my role um, as a futurist. But I think for me, more and more, as I do more and more research, we're uncovering new knowledge. You know, we're, we're creating new knowledge about what's coming up down the, down the line. Um, we're living in a rapidly changing world and, and we need new ways of thinking, new ways of doing. And, and futurists help individuals and organizations to navigate that, that complexity and to come away with insights that transform the present. We use the future to change the present. Mm. If you were to look on the internet um, and look up UNESCO and futures literacy, you will see that there are UN agencies who promote futures as a literacy, like reading or writing, as if it's a universal capability mm -hmm. that we all have a right to have access to that can help us think differently about the future to make decisions based on where we wish to go rather than where we've already been mm -hmm. to bring back agency in times of uncertainty and I, and I and I love that this idea that you know that we can be less susceptible to disruption because of how we think about the future isn't that cool like that like that you could have that skill wouldn't anyone want that skill that like that in a moment where there is high levels of emotion and and fear and uncertainty that we have methods and tools and an understanding and a literacy that can help us explore and and to move forward in a direction that we wish for mm -hmm. that's that's what futures and futurists are to me yeah i want to be a futurist yeah, yeah, you should. <laughs> you should. So, you find your courses on uh, the Meta Future School. Can people sign up uh, right on yeah. the link? Okay. So yeah, metafutureschool.org. Um, you can sign up to a course. And um, for those who are really interested in, um, you know, maybe they're researchers or they're, you know, facilitators and, and they're like, and they're like you, they're thinking, I want to, I want to potentially become a futurist. Um you know, we also have a certification program with the Center of Futures Intelligence and Research. You know, we've gotten so many um, people certified and published in the Journal of Future Studies. Like, so it's a great step into the space. And 80% um, of our learners are actually using the methods and tools in their personal and professional lives. You know, we've got people who are planning for their retirement using the course. We've got people who are like yoga teachers who are having like moving conversations using these methods. We've got, you know, but we've also got leaders in like UN agencies and international organizations and major telecommunications companies mm. doing these courses to help planning for their teams and for their organizations so it's this incredible diverse learning community we've got over 800 learners now wow. and uh, it's growing it's growing all the time um so it's metafutureschool.org um if you're interested you know tap into that and and if you want to learn more about what we're doing at futurely um i'm getting my plugs in now jacob can you see because uh, uh, if you want to learn more if you want to learn more about futurely futurely.online i hope you put some of these in the description box but um uh, but yeah, it's a it's an exciting new world. Definitely, they're all gonna be in the description box uh, uh, once once the, uh, this episode um, is available for the audience. Um, but thank you so much. I am I'm always inspired. You know, I was inspired when we talked offline. I'm just really excited about um, just your work. And you know, this this will transform the way we. Well, how we live, and this, this, like, there's a high sense of hope when I hear you talk. Um, mm. It's just truly inspiring. I hope everyone, everyone's listening. Please check out, you know, check out this work, metafuture.org. Future, I'm gonna include all the links. Um, I'm just, and I, if, in fact, just in his LinkedIn post as well, just to learn more about him. He's just, just incredible as a person. Even when I meet, when I met him in person. Um, so just to wrap up now, I, I wanna hopefully you know ask you just about you know some books that people can read uh, in the meantime uh hmm. just learn about the works that you do uh and you know what inspires you and what you know keeps you going uh, come up with new ideas hmm. what you're thinking about um and just like how do you manage yourself as a as a entrepreneur your hands in many things um any advice you give uh, to people out there and most importantly how uh 
will you want to be remembered? Um, sounds which sounds very dark, but also I think as a futurist, you definitely have a good answer to that. Um, just to begin with, um, how do you manage yourself? You know, I know you have a baby, you have all these amazing projects. I know some of the people that are listening, you know, uh, we did, uh, you know, we have some analytics at the back end. These are young people in their twenties. Mm. We a lot going on. I think that's a classic group for you as well as a young yeah. person, uh, who are really trying to make a difference in the world. Uh, and sometimes they feel overwhelmed. Social media, you know, they're trying to do work at school, and there's so much going on, and they also want to make it. Yeah. Will you have any recommendations for them on how to manage this anxiety and stress at the same time, uh, be as productive as they can be, um, or even more? Uh, Man, I mean, um, I mean, first of all, I'm just as susceptible to anxiety and stress as anyone. Um, so whatever methods I use, um, it doesn't mean that the job is done. It's it's a journey, isn't it? Not a destination. Um, I, I feel like, you know, we all have different things that work for, for us and I know what works for me, but the funny thing is sometimes it's hard to get me to even do what works. You know what I mean? Like, so I know that I know that the the best way for me personally to manage my anxiety and stress and there's plenty of it um the best way to do it for me is um i should meditate i should work out a lot i should read um i should have a routine a steady routine every single day um and i know that these things work for me um but sometimes the last thing I want to do is meditate. And the last thing I want to do is work out. It's the last thing I want to do. I definitely think restricting my use of social media is hugely effective. Mm-hmm. Somehow the app always ends up back on my phone. But if I, del- <laughs> if I delete Facebook and TikTok and this, it's a, it's a good thing mm-hmm. for a while. Yeah. Um, so I'm not, um, I'm not adverse to just exiting social media you know stayed right you know for a while um because i think it's having a tremendous impact on our mental health um well we know it is but again part of being a young person is having anxiety and stress (laughs) it is man it is it's part it comes with the territory you know you've got to recognize that as a young person this is this is inevitable, no matter whether you're in the first world or the third world. It doesn't doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. Like you are experiencing tremendous anxiety as you form your identity. And young people today are growing up in this. I think I in an article I wrote for British Council, we called it an enviro-cultural malaise. Mm. The climate crisis these existential crises are having a profound impact on how young people see the world and how they see their future. And it's causing tremendous anxiety to the point where young people often, if you don't have any hope for the future, Jacob, what will that do to your behavior in the present? So destructive, you know, um, pessimistic. Right. Right. Why not just sit and watch Netflix and eat whatever I want if I have no future? Why not? You know, you, there's no there's no agency in that. This is we know this. We know that, you know, as the great, um, you know, it's another principle of futures, our vision of the future leads. If you believe that your future is going to be worse than your than your present, if you believe that you have no career prospects, if you fear that you know you won't be able to own a house one day you won't be able to have a career in something that you love you know if you feel that way it's gonna it's gonna impact you in the present um i can't recommend enough for people that the more they start thinking about the future in a positive way identifying where they wish to go and then deciding today to take action towards that future it's it's profoundly important. And we know that, you know, the, you know, this is now a multi-billion dollar industry Mm self-help and it's almost cliche to set goals, but there's a reason why they do. They all recommend it. It's because it works. Um, So 
I, again, I'm so, you know, one of the thoughts that I had when the pandemic hit Jacob was like, if this had hit 10 years earlier, I would have been, if I was in my mid twenties, when this hit, I would have been screwed, man. Right. This is why if I was at uni, when this hit, I would have been screwed. I really empathize with young people growing up right now. I really do. Um, so, so it's tough and you know, you're not alone and, um, try to bring back some agency because when you start drifting and you're waiting for opportunities to come your way and you know, you don't have purpose and you don't have goals and you don't have a set structure to your day. It's a slippery slope from there. It's a slippery slope and your confidence disappears quick. Your self-esteem, these things are so important um, to you achieving something with your life and, and living a great life. And I'm, I'm very thankful that now in my mid thirties, soon to be my late thirties, um, I now, I have a home and I have a wife and I have a kid. I, I never, ever thought that was possible in my twenties. I have a career I love. I own my own business. I work from home. I pick and choose my own schedule. I never, ever, ever thought that was possible for me. Certainly not in Thailand. I, I never thought it was possible. Um, so and again, everyone's journey is their own, but my heart goes out to anyone who's feeling that way. Um, it really does. I know how it feels and, um, you can do it, you know, you can do it. You can change your life. You can, you know, have goals. You can achieve great things. You, know, you can. So, um, so yeah, find a cause and then chase it. Uh, just, just following up on that, what you have, you told me some great books. Uh, do you mind just sharing them again, uh, to read? about yeah man i've got a real i've got a big library in here um and uh you know books that are i've got a lot of books on entrepreneurship but i don't know i think i think they're probably books that that everyone's already read um ones that you were able to share with me earlier you know the the sovereign individuals uh by james davidson lord william um Generation. There's a few. There's a. Let me let me pull out a couple. One second. I think it's cool to just pull the books out and show you. <laughs> um, here we go. We got Generations. Yes. By Strauss and Howe. Strauss the and Prince Howe. by Machiavelli. Yes. These are the books that are inspiring me. Ah, yes. If you have one, call why why civil resistance works by Erica Chenoweth, and uh, I'll just bring I'll bring one more if I can find it. Um, yeah, let me see. Yeah, the books are cool, by too. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. I've got, I've got a lot. Oh man, yeah. Okay. Ah, okay. All right, all right. Here we are. Okay. Sorry, sorry. I know I'm on a podcast. I shouldn't be out of frame for too long. But um, yeah. Th- this this book, Generations, really inspired me. Um. It's been quoted a lot over the last few years, um, mainly because it was written in the 90s and it was um, Strauss and Howe, William Strauss and Neil Howe, The History of America's Future, 1584 to 2069. Sounds far out, right? But basically, you could call them macro historians, but they're real, they're, they're generational theorists. Hmm. And their theory, and it's a contentious one, is that history is a pattern that repeats itself. And the reason for that pattern, they're not the first to say that, many macro historians have said that history is based on patterns. And so there's a whole world of macro historians, extraordinary people who thought about history in a different way to how we're taught it in school, which is like a sort of chronological order of things. They said that it was generations and how they interact with one another that shaped our history in that, um, and they used this pattern of generations in cycles to basically predict that we would be living in a crisis era right now. Mm -hmm. And in a few years time, there will be a new era. Mm. And 
it's been it will be brought about because of the generations and how they interact the best way to think about this is um strong men this is an old saying strong men create good times good times create weak men weak men create bad times the idea is that there's a cycle and different generations play off one another and so and they were able to basically track those patterns over hundreds of years so a contentious theory that's for sure but um a, a fascinating book and um this is i think quite an important book uh, by erica chenoweth who's basically the one of the leading thinkers um and researchers on civil resistance you know today we're seeing protest movements all over the world and many people doubt their effectiveness at creating change and i think one of the reasons why people are protesting is because they don't see a way through conventional politics to create a better world they've lost faith in the institutions that govern them and i work with a lot of these institutions mm. so um but they actually erica chenoweth is brilliant because she you know did a proper quantitative data analysis of civil resistance and recognized that actually it's highly effective at creating a better world in fact it's one of the only ways we have ever been able to so this i think it's um encouraging for anyone who's trying to figure out how to create change um and has maybe given up on policy making and, and and given up on their political systems hidden agendas by john pilger one of my heroes um investigatory journalist who um who really inspired me i read that book when i was 16 years old and was talking a lot about the uk politics and their crimes in in countries around the world and how extremely corrupt our western media is and it, just an extraordinary writer and the prince by machiavelli mm. um machiavelli was also a macro historian he you know back in 15th century florence he used the example of rome and the patterns of behavior and power politics to help understand not only where they were but where they were going in the future and um so another inspiring macro historian and an important man an important book um so yeah i i read quite widely um but um but making reading part of the you know part of the routine is is important to get out of your own head and to also make sure that your news sources are not just mainstream media um you know in a world where channels that for the last few years we've relied on for alternative news sources they're now becoming mainstream media sources channels like youtube and facebook for example um it's hard to find alternative voices now it's getting harder and harder so in an era of censorship turn to books definitely and the, 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 the new generations i mean the, all these books are great five person the new generation i would like to invite you for another episode just talk about their generations just mm. it's just there's something about it um especially the interconnectedness like the i have to i have to i personally read that one first <laughs> i think it's, it's extremely it's extremely contentious yes. and it's extremely bold for them to say that history and the future depends on how different generations respond to one another and like how they interact and like for example you know after you know the silence generations as they're called um that really grew up through the great depression and world war 2 is extremely different to the millennial generation uh, you know and generations are the way they are because of you know historical events shape generations and generations then go on to shape historical events that's another good way of thinking about it so one of the things that fascinates me is how are the historical events of covid-19 2008 financial crisis all of the, the the ukraine war potentially how will these historical events shape the new generation and how will they then change the world yeah, exactly. and that's what i that's what i want to really understand deeply and that's what futurely um you know that's where we want to specialize whether you're a major corporation trying to figure out you know how to sell to young people you're a UN agency trying to figure out how to advise best on policy or you're a young person looking to build your own skills 
bringing intergenerational groups together to explore these topics and issues is important. Young people are really valuable in these spaces because the way they see the world will shape the world. It, or they always have, they always will. So neglect and ignore young people at your peril because throughout history, they have always sought to change the world and to shape it in their own image. They can't help it. Um, so yeah, this is where I'm really fascinated. So Jacob, you know, if you want to do something, um, if you want to set up some sort of workshop with your networks, you know, on these kinds of topics, we can do it. You know, we do it for fun. We do it for the love. Um, so I look forward to exploring these topics with you if you're interested. Definitely. I'm more than looking forward to just the, the great work you're doing to all our listeners out there, Adam, um, uh, as I said earlier, just a great person, a great human being. As you guys might have uh, realized by now, if it's too late for you, but you know, just the conversation today has been truly, truly, truly informative, inspiring, but also hopeful. I, I got a sense of hope, uh, not just uh, whimsical hope, but like based on some true, deep, um, very thoughtful, uh, carefully well poised approach on how to look at life and look at the world we live in and how to ensure that our the next i want to say our our kids i don't have a child how to make sure you know the next generation uh you know so let's see rates are dropping jacob <laughs> <laughs> much much better place but adam uh we they can find you on linkedin right i'm gonna include a link on that uh, and futurely as well the link will be in the description box meta future schools the courses please check out the courses i know from what you've heard something that really transformed your life um and just the work you do either you're in a corporation or you're a non-profit or you're a teacher um please you can reach out and for the meta future school adam do they do you have to be in a specific location or is everywhere in the world you can take the courses Online courses, they're completely self-paced. So, um, but we do run four free workshops just for our alumni only every year. So we create group learning spaces for our learners to join. So they'll do the course on their own, um, but Futures is always enriched when you do it in the group because you learn from one another and you learn from how others see the future. So, so yeah, you join, but then you can join our free workshops all year. Got you, got you. Sounds great. Um, Adam, thank you so much for your time. Love thank you, me. Jacob. It's been a pleasure. Awesome, awesome. So our listeners, uh, we look forward to uh, getting your feedback on this episode and we'll see you in the next one. Thank you, guys.